I'm Robin Amler of IBS Intelligence. You're listening to the IBSI Views podcast. With me is Raju Daryani, who is the business head and EVP, Intellect Digital Core from Intellect Design Arena. And the clues in the word core, we're talking about core banking. The last few years have brought about a shift in both customer mindset and the way banks respond to customer expectations. It's all about core banking modernization. What are the trends you're seeing right now? What we see at the moment is that there is a huge amount of disruption that is taking place in the financial services industry. And this is primarily with the, the fintechs coming on board and which was happening through the digital era anyway a few years ago. But with the pandemic in place, it has further accelerated. And we have seen you know, 230 billion apps being installed in 2021. And the just to talk about the volume of payments, which are not going through regular sources, we are talking of, uh, you know, on a particular day, which is, happens to be February 22nd, we saw in a particular app to 13 million INR of payments through a mobile app, a single mobile app. So this is what we are seeing as trends. And what we see is that customers want to be able to be serviced in a very contextual and hyper-personalized manner. So these are the couple of things we are seeing happening in the in, in the industry. Well, what does this actually mean for banks then? What is their role in this new reality? And how do they engage with fintechs who are effectively taking business away from? Absolutely, absolutely. So that's the, that's the dilemma that they are facing, right? I mean, you've got these fintechs who are nim- nimble and really coming up as, uh, as quickly and ev- evolving with the digitalization that's taking place. And the thought is, how do, do banks really work with them? Do they compete with them? Do they become fintechs themselves? Or do they collaborate and try to embrace them? So our view of the world is that the banks have a special place in this particular segment of financial industry. And if they are able to collaborate with the fintechs and embrace and be able to bring them and provide the services to their customers through them as the core platform, that would be what we see is the best use from the bank's perspective. This means a change in that core banking platform, though. It's got to be more open, more up-to-date. There's a word I want to bring into the conversation composability. What are we talking about when we talk about composability? What we are seeing is that because the way the banks are, they have legacy core at the moment, some of them. Now, how do we move from that to the factor of being digital and that in some of the larger banks cannot happen overnight? So if you're talking about a 12, 18 month cycle to be able to replace that particular core, that is a huge amount of time. And by the time the markets moved on, So that's one area of the factor. So composability means that the code that is being offered can be used in parts which are required to be positioned at that point in time. So therefore, each of these components are API driven. They basically are microservices based. And only then can you be able to go buy components and be able to replace where the pain points are, embrace digital banking, and be able to also provide a third-party interfaces. So you're bringing in the ecosystem of the wider world, trying to bring that in in a much easier and a more, uh, I would say, low-coding platform mechanism where people are given the API, they're able to test it without having to do a huge amount of 
coding work or or this kind of you know the testing that goes along with it so that's the composability part that is very critical from what we see this sounds like the answer to a bank's prayer in terms of being able to update one's core banking solution in a less painful way if i can put it like that why aren't people rushing to embrace this solution this is just a matter of culture and what we have seen in the past robert so what we have seen is the digital banking where it, how it was placed a few years ago we all we saw the cxos were so worried that we have to spend a huge amount of investment and the return on investment was maybe 3 5 years down the road and meanwhile they've actually out of their positions and they don't reap the benefits so we had a huge issue where people were hanging on to yes we need to go digital but we don't know how to get there in a manner of profitability as well as showing return to our shareholders so this is one key aspect of the risk that they were they are sort of still unwilling and beginning to learn how to move around it so what we have seen now is that because of the new structure of digitalization the banks are able to create new products and services which they would not earlier be able to offer so it's not just about talking about channels and having a straight through processing and various things but also complete new lines of business bringing that in bringing the factor of return on investment to a much more sensible pattern is what they are beginning to see and that's the shift that's going to happen i'll just give you a quick example on that now if you've got a simple case right a bank's services loans loans are service to certain level of clients where they they when they service them they provide a factor of what the cost of that service is versus return so they obviously cannot service a loan of as low as maybe you know few hundred dollars 200 dollars or 500 dollar loan doesn't become serviceable or profitable for a bank to service however with this digitalization what really happens is even the person on the street who is actually having a small mom and pop shop is able to then tap into these banks and due to the digitalization and, and being able to control both sides collateralized the banks are able to give these loans and therefore generate revenue which may be small in each particular transaction but quite large overall so these are just some examples which clearly indicate where and how the banks are going to see this difference work through how does the kind of approach that different sized banks should take towards modernization differ if you're a small bank what should you be doing if you're a medium sized bank what should you be doing if you're a large bank what should you be doing for small and medium sized banks we recommend that they revisit and look at the core in one go basically allowing them to replace that and be able to do the entire digitalization at and be able to have open apis bring in the ecosystem and connect to the larger players very easily therefore opening up an entire ecosystem which would not be available to them so that's the fundamental way we would see the small and medium for the large banks that i as i mentioned earlier you know they are they are very conscious that they have a huge client base and a very uh, and a very old legacy core therefore they would go in for the modernization in terms of the composable architecture that we were talking about and in in that sense they would say is we'd see them perhaps have a little bank within a bank where they are offering digital services and that that basically then allows a certain segment of their customers to be able to avail those and then they start introducing that over the larger 
population and therefore digitalize it over a period of time. Fine. There's another word I want to get clarification from you on, and that's contextual. What do you mean by contextual? Contextual, what we are seeing is that any particular individual or SME or corporate, when today their expectation is in line with the fact that you should know me very well and therefore offer me services that only matter to me. Please stop offering me services which are generic in nature. Don't send me a deposit of this nature when you know I won't be interested in that deposit. So this is the contextual part and the hyper-personalization part, whether it comes to SMEs or otherwise. Now, an example in SMEs, we know that an SME would be having cash flow at the end of the month because of whether it's payroll and what whatever linked to it. Why don't we predict that? Why don't we provide a line of credit automatically available for that particular instance. We don't need anything to happen before that. So this is some form of contextualization, but there are numerous examples we can talk about. That's what digitalization is all about, actually. Yes, and I'd really like the bank to stop sending me its monthly suggestion that I take out a credit card. If I need a credit card, I'll look for one. Please stop sending me these letters every month offering me a credit card. (laughs) Apart from anything else, that's wasted marketing spend by the bank. And if they actually knew me properly, they wouldn't waste their money on sending me something that's untargeted. The minute you you as an individual are getting information which has not relevant, all you do is throw it in the bin or ignore it as as an email. And exactly what is the is the point that contextualization should be. So if I'm at a point in my career that I am looking to go for overseas trip. I should be looking at, oh, maybe you need some extra funds at this moment because your standard account is falling below and we know you are going to get some money from your normal salary coming in at certain dates. So why don't we create this kind of a bridging load rather than offering you a credit card, which you already have? So exactly what contextualization should be all about. So composability makes it easier for a bank to transform. Contextualization is how they are going to get a better quality of business from their customers. Exactly right. Thank you very much, Raju Dariani, Head of Intellect Digital Core, Intellect Design Arena.